A note to our listeners before we get started. This story contains descriptions of assault and sexual violence. So please be advised. Previously on Verified, full disclosure. So you have six of your nine full-time officers who are either documented criminals, liars. So when you have your majority of officers who have this kind of history getting together, what kind of uh, chaos, I guess would be a way to put it, ensues? And what we found is pretty shocking. My default position is I believe the police. I don't believe our law enforcement officers are intentionally going out with an idea saying, man, I just want to shoot somebody. Man, I just want to taste somebody. Man, I just want to wrongfully arrest somebody. There's bad cops everywhere, and nobody can deny that. Well, the good cops, so-called, don't stand up against them. They just let them do what they do, and they back them up. So they're bad cops, too. Ryder Collins grabs his camera and tripod, gets into his car, and drives to downtown Phoenix. He's meeting some friends, all amateur photographers. We met up at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and and we walked around and caught the sunset in downtown. It's really kind of cool because the light will go through the buildings and makes these really cool shadows. It's at about 4 to 5 p.m. And they left at like 6.30 or so, and I said, well, I don't have to work until Tuesday night, so I'm going to stay out. He gets some dinner and sets up his equipment on the sidewalk to do some night photography. That's when he notices a bunch of police officers on the street. What I saw was like a ton of cop cars. I thought I heard a police helicopter. And I said, well, what's going on? Ryder's not the only civilian on the street that night. It's a few months after the murder of George Floyd. And he sees a small group marching in support of Black Lives Matter. As the protesters start walking down the street, Ryder follows along on the sidewalk, keeping his distance. I'm like the the opposite corner, so I'd say at least 150 feet away. And he's not the only one taking pictures. He's standing next to a group of counter-protesters. They're from the alt-right media organization called the Arizona Patriots. They're shouting at the marchers. Get a job! Get a job! I see this lady with a like a GoPro camera and she's filming along the sidewalk and she's like yelling and screaming at these these huddled group of people with umbrellas in the middle of the street. The Black Lives Matter protesters are chanting. Some tip over traffic cones, topple street signs, and drag construction barriers. Then someone sets off a fog machine. The police are getting annoyed. I'm done with this. They're blocking all of them of uh, Van Buren. We're done. Move in. All of them go to jail. Move in. All of them go to jail. Everybody goes to jail. Take them now. About a minute later, police move in on the protesters. It gets pretty chaotic pretty quickly. Well, I'm, I'm walking on the sidewalk, and, and um, there's cop cars everywhere, and I hear to my right a couple of cops say something like, something like, that's the guy. He's been following the group. Get him. And so then they they come over to me, and I, I don't put up a fight. I just put my hands up, and I thought it was a big mis- misunderstanding, you know? But it wasn't a misunderstanding. They arrest everyone, including Ryder. It's all being filmed on police body cam. 
He's shocked and thinks to himself, how did this happen? Hey, guys. Um, I live in Prescott Valley. Um, yeah. Um, I'm a nurse in Prescott. Well, you I should know out, better. I come out here to do photography. I didn't know this was a thing until about a half hour good? ago. Yes, go ahead and see, sir. All right. Should have, been, should have stayed in Prescott. Now you get to visit 4th Avenue Jail. I thought I'm literally just on the sidewalk and in the crosswalk even, and um, I didn't throw a bottle or do anything like that. I just had a camera. I honestly thought um, that I'd like I've been in a dream a little bit. It feels like some weird surreal dream that, that is just gonna end. And I'll be like, oh, just just kidding. It's done. You can go home now kind of thing, you know? But that hasn't happened. It just feels like a dream. <laughs> More like a nightmare. Suddenly, Ryder's sitting in jail with the group of protesters. They're all strangers. I don't know any of these people. I don't know any of them. Yeah. When I was in jail that night, they were. some of them were like, who are you? <laughs> what are you doing here? What Ryder couldn't have known what none of the other people arrested that night could have known is that they were about to land in the center of an elaborate scheme by the Phoenix Police Department and the Maricopa County Attorney's Office. A scheme aimed at framing, silencing, and punishing their critics. This is Verified. Full disclosure. I'm Natasha Del Toro. So far, our story is focused on Arizona's failure to track dishonest and disreputable police officers. These Brady List cops stayed on the job or moved from town to town without the public knowing about their past. But Dave's reporting changed all of that. When he published the state's first searchable database of every law enforcement officer on a county Brady List, the public was finally in the loop. And Phoenix police and others around the state were on notice. But then, Dave was about to discover a whole new level of lying and deception by police and prosecutors. One so big that it triggered a whole new level of scrutiny. And raising a big question. Was the criminal justice system in Phoenix too rotten to fix? After the murder of George Floyd in May 2020, protests broke out across the country and continued for months. But by October 17, in Phoenix, the large crowds had dwindled to less than two dozen, and protests weren't happening daily anymore, mostly just on weekends. It's Saturday night. It's downtown Phoenix. It's the pandemic. There's not a lot of traffic, okay? Reporter Dave Biscabing says downtown Phoenix isn't New York or Chicago. Even on a Saturday night, it's pretty empty. There are not a lot of people in the street 8 o'clock at night in downtown Phoenix, as in almost no one. There are 18 people protesting, including three minors. There are about 60 cops following them as they're marching down the street. It was quite the scene. You had 60 cops following 18 protesters. Many of the marchers are carrying umbrellas. 
And the reason for that is to block pepper spray and pepper balls and also to conceal their faces from counter-protesters who dox them, alt-right people. It happens commonly. And the police are following them. So they're arrested for obstructing a thoroughfare. This is the same night that Ryder Collins was out taking pictures and got arrested. Ryder ended up spending that night in jail. And when I got out, I just wanted to run and hide and not... I just wanted to be home with my wife. I worked so hard to... I worked my butt off to go to nursing school, and I got straight A's in nursing school, and it just felt like all this was going to be taken away uh, for for something ridiculous, that I, it was just by some weird chance that I was there. He was confused and pretty scared and just couldn't really make sense of what had happened. I felt, like, ashamed, like, that I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, but, I, but at the same time, I knew I didn't do anything, you know? I just... I just was depressed. I'm still kind of depressed. And I just didn't want to interact with anybody. I didn't, yeah, I just wanted to crawl in a cave and, and not come out. Ryder and the protesters were arrested for obstructing a thoroughfare. But 10 days later, the police took their case to a grand jury. Now, a quick refresher. Grand juries are convened to decide whether or not there's enough evidence to justify an indictment. They don't determine guilt or innocence. Typically, they only hear select evidence and only from prosecutors. Everything is secret from the public. This grand jury ends up indicting 18 people for some very serious crimes. Conspiracy to commit assault. Rioting. And then there's one that's just stunning. Street gang charges. They've charged these protesters as being members of street gangs. And so <laughs> I hear this almost the day after it happens, and I start making calls. Someone calls me and says, Dave, there's some protesters that get charged as gang members. I'm like, what? Or, well, are, what are they like? You know, like, are they actually like, the Mexican mafia? Like, what are they? They go, no, they're, they're, <laughs> they're saying they're the ACAB gang. I'm like, the ACAB gang? What the hell is that? They go, well, all cops are bastards. And I'm like, well, isn't that just what people chant? And they go, well, yeah, that's why they're calling them the ACAP gang. I'm like, so what? They were chanting all cops are bastards, ACAB, and that's what they named them? That's exactly what happened. When you look at the video from October 17, the protesters are chanting a lot of things that protesters had been chanting for months. Black Lives Matter, say his name, say her name, and ACAB, or all cops are bastards. But did that really make them a gang? So we obtained the confidential grand jury transcript, and it is unbelievable. The prosecutor and police went and told these jurors that this group not only was an organized gang that called themselves all cops or bastards, that they had a hierarchy, they were organized, that they were planning violence, and they were planning to hurt police officers. Dave also obtained the video of a court hearing to deny bond to one of the protesters. Thank you. Good afternoon, Sergeant. Can you please just introduce yourself to the court? Yes, Sergeant Douglas McBride. And where do you currently work? On the tape, you can see Phoenix Police Sergeant Doug McBride testifying. He's a grenadier who manages the tactical response unit, and he's also a former gang detective. His lawyer asks him about the night of the protests. Right. So on October 17th of 2020, um, let's get into that investigation. Over the next few minutes, McBride lays out the justification for all the charges. First, he describes the chants. Um, I believe it was A, C, A, B, 
And then the group would respond, all cops are bastards. Right, and... Um, McBride says that ACAB isn't just a chant. Uh, it was a specific group of individuals that identified themselves as being part of all cops are bastards or ACAB. In this hearing, and also before the grand jury, McBride called the scene a riot, describing protesters attacking the police. He focused on how the group dressed in black and how they were all carrying umbrellas, calling them dangerous weapons. They, they claimed that they used the umbrellas, they sharpened the tips of these umbrellas to stab officers. Except... When you actually look at the photos of the umbrellas, none of them are sharpened. They say they're sharpened metal tips, but they're plastic. The prosecutors went even further with their allegations. They also say that they sharpened their fingernails so they would attack officers. They could use them to attack, like they're like Catwoman, like the Penguin and Catwoman, right? Like that's the joke of this. And, and I don't, I, I know it's funny, but it's serious. And they say that they use their fingernails so they could attack officers like they're cat people. But Dave says that maybe the most stunning thing he read in the grand jury testimony was when McBride and others repeatedly compared the group to notorious street gangs. And that they were, in some cases, like and in some ways more organized and dangerous than gangs like the Bloods, Crips, and Hells Angels. And what happens then if you get a, a tr- if you're charged as a gang member? Like, what are what are the potential consequences then? You're talking years and years in prison. All of these people, if convicted on all charges, were facing some of them. I think one of them, because the way the charges were, charges were stacked, they could have gotten 100 years in prison. So, like, it just, a gang charge in itself is a crime, but then it aggravates all of the other crimes you're facing. Who were these protesters then? Like, what can you tell me about the people that were in this group out protesting? Some of them knew each other, you know, like half of them, I think, knew each other from previous protests, regular protesters. Some saw flyers and decided they were going to come join this particular protest. So it was kind of a mix match. Some of them knew each other. Some were brand new to the group that night. And I mean, any like any specific details about some of the the, the folks that that you talked to who were many of them charged are, as gang members. Ma- many of them were very passionate about social justice and kind of cultural issues, right? And so that's what kind of drives them to to protest, especially in a small protest like this. It's just it was a it, it it's just a collection of different people. I mean, one of them was a Harvard graduate. So, I mean, these are some of these are smart, very smart, educated people. Tonight, the start of a major new ABC 15 investigation. We spent months digging into protest arrests. We obtained never-before-seen video, internal records, secret testimony, and confidential information. And in our first report, we're about to show you... Dave and his team spent months investigating the gang charges and other protest prosecutions. They read through hundreds of pages of police reports and testimony... They watched hours of police body camera footage and surveillance video. What they found? There was no gang, no riot, and no plot to hurt the police. Absolutely all of that was proven to be 100% false. Because it was false. Because it was invented. It was a fabrication. It was made up. ACAB is not a gang. It's a phrase. But they just spoke it into existence. They spoke it to a grand jury who ate it all up. Didn't question it because no one gets to present any counter evidence in a grand jury transcript, a grand jury proceeding often. And they were charged as gang members. Not only was it all made up, 
it was all planned and orchestrated at the highest levels of the Phoenix Police Department and the prosecutors. Phoenix and the county attorney's office, in the 10 days between that arrest and that grand, in that grand jury, when they went to the grand jury to get the charges, they executed a plan that they had been thinking about for a while. And that was they wanted to send a message and charge protesters as gang members. And that's exactly what they did. After Dave's stories aired, a judge eventually ruled that the Phoenix police and prosecutors had colluded to falsely charge these protesters with gang charges. That's maybe the the, the most telling piece of impact from the reporting. Phoenix had brought to the county attorney's office 39 felony protest cases. And all 39 of them were eventually dismissed. But every case that was open from a felony protest case dismissed, wiped away, because they just couldn't trust these officers or that the prosecutor that initially brought them, was, it just, the, the cases were too tainted. And most of them were just entirely made up. I think it's how quickly you can kind of just ruin somebody's life or attempt to ruin somebody's life just, just through a stroke of a pen. This is Ryder Collins again, the amateur photographer who got swept up in the arrests, accused of being a gang member and of rioting on October 17th. Eventually, all the charges against him were dropped. Man, paying taxpayer dollars to do this kind of thing, I'm not, I'm just kind of shocked. Yeah, you can turn somebody's life on its head in a second like that, it's, it's not fair. Why do you think that they uh, colluded? Like, I mean, these are really serious charges that could put people behind bars, like you said, for decades. Yes. Um, were they just like, how do you make sense of it? Were they just trying to like make an example of these people? Or, like, what? why, you know, why did they come up with this ACAB gang? They were sick of it. I think they wanted to send a message. They were done. Six months of protests, sick of it. Sick of the overtime, sick of having to hear it. Sick of having to deal with it. Sick of having to have people yell at them. I mean, I get it. You'd be sick of that, too, if someone was protesting you that long. I mean, it, it would get to you, I guess. But it's their job. They're the protest response unit. You know? I mean, it's just, it's the job they signed up for. And the point is, as unfortunate as that is and how much extra work it may be, you can't frame people. And that's what they did. The U.S. Department of Justice steps in. Just ahead. On August 5th, 2021, the feds decide it's time to find out what's going on in Phoenix. Today, we are announcing that the Justice Department is opening an investigation into the city of Phoenix and the Phoenix Police Department. Attorney General Merrick Garland called it a pattern or practice investigation, looking at policing failures at a systemic level. This was huge. Assistant Attorney General Kristen Clark for the Civil Rights Division spoke after Garland. 
protecting the rule of law demands that those who enforce our laws also abide by them. We have reviewed court files, media reports, citizen complaints, and we also considered factors that we ordinarily weigh in determining whether to open an investigation, including the nature and seriousness of the allegations, the number of allegations, the steps that a department may be taking to address the allegations and the history of the department. Phoenix became the third city in six months to draw a DOJ investigation. But the investigations in Minneapolis and Louisville involved police killings. Phoenix is the one without a really high-profile death. And so it's not like George Floyd that makes them say, hey, we need to look at Minneapolis. It's not Breonna Taylor. We need to look at Louisville. So what is it? It appears to be it's, it's to me, it's kind of the scarier thought maybe. Is it that Phoenix has had so many widespread problems that it didn't take a specific trigger? I think maybe our reporting on protesting was the straw that broke the camel's back, you know, with for a bad cliche, use of a bad cliche. But I think that they had Phoenix on their radar for a long time. And finally, too much became too much. Here was the Department of Justice saying its investigators would be looking at the very kinds of things that Dave and his team had uncovered time and time again. Patterns of excessive force, corruption, cover-ups, and targeting people who were exercising their First Amendment rights. It's now been more than a year since the DOJ started its investigation. They've collected more than a million pages of documents, talked to a lot of people, including victims and their families, and police officers. And there have been some changes. So, good afternoon. So, I've been with law enforcement for 32 years. The majority of that I've spent in this Phoenix, city of Phoenix, raising my two sons. Everyone knows I love this city. Phoenix Police Chief Terry Williams recently announced that she's retiring, and other city officials have left. There's no timetable for the Department of Justice's investigation into Phoenix police, but their scope seems to be expanding. Multiple community and legal sources say that federal investigators are also digging into officers' use of force against minors and how effectively the department polices itself. Is Phoenix Police Department special when it comes to corruption? Um, When you look at the history of issues facing this city and this department, yeah, they are special. They have led the country in certain years in the number of fatal police shootings. They are under a Department of Justice investigation. They invented a fake gang to charge protesters as members. Those things have not happened in many other major cities. So, yeah, Phoenix is special in the fact that the things that have happened here in this police department, they are apart and distinct from other departments. And I don't even believe that we've scratched the surface. 
And based on everything that you have discovered and uncovered, it certainly does seem like Phoenix sort of stands out when it comes to corruption and deception and abuses of power, excessive force. How do you think that it got that way? It got this way from a lack of attention. When politicians, city council members, city management, lawmakers don't hold a department accountable, this is what you see This is what happens. Every department's going to have officers that make bad decisions, have bad shoots, lie. Those things happen. You have thousands of officers who you can't control everything they do. That's impossible. But what you can control as a department is how you respond. And what this city and what this department has done is they're entirely reactionary. They're only going to address something or change something if they're caught And they're publicly embarrassed. You know, it's interesting. In all of your reporting, there's this sort of idea that the problems in the Phoenix Police Department are, they're really baked into the department's culture. So this isn't just about one incident that triggered the DOJ's investigation. And, you know, this is a department that's spent decades violating people's constitutional rights. Um, And that's what you found. So if the criminal justice system in Phoenix is so broken, do you think it can be reformed? I'll be honest. I'm not overly optimistic because reform requires both initiative, intent, and follow-through. Is there going to be that? We have city council members and the mayor and the city manager who will tout reforms They're not reforms. They are the most basic of expectations for a police department in the community. Oh, we release video within two weeks of police shootings. Great. You should. You know, that's not a reform. That's an expectation. Oh, we got all of our officers with body cameras in the last few years. Great. You were really late to the party. Congratulations for doing what you should have done a long time ago. You're the fifth largest city in America. Unless we get leaders who are serious about accountability... You're never going to see it. And I don't see that we have leaders that are serious about it. In fact, they run from me every time we try to get answers, questions answered. <laughs> they're, they're afraid of you by now. No, they are. They, they will hide and they will get very upset at any other reporter in my newsroom that happens to get in front of them and ask them questions. And that's it's embarrassing. And we know that you have repeatedly tried to speak to the Phoenix Police Department and the police officers that you um, that you've investigated. What's their take on what you've uncovered? I've approached um, some other officers who are on the Brady list that kind of intersect between the Brady list and the politically charged uh, protest stuff because a lot of the officers involved with the protest cases were on the Brady list um, and they just don't speak. You know, usually their lawyers are around them. I'm approaching them out of court and it's, Dave, we don't have any comment for you. So you have not spoken to... Uh, as- no. Long story short, I've not, I've not spoken to them more than trying to approach some of these officers outside of court or, you know, their departments. I want to sort of shift gears a little bit here. And one of the biggest reveals of your investigation was the repeated abuses of the Brady disclosure rules. Is this unique to Arizona? I would think that this is not unique to Arizona. In fact, if you look at the National Registry of Exonerations, about 30% of exonerations have to do with withheld exculpatory evidence. And, And officers' Brady files fall within that. So it's astounding to to hear out of all the exonerations that have been tracked across the country that such a high percentage 
of those cases deal with the withholding of exculpatory evidence, evidence that would have been favorable to the defense that police and prosecutors kept secret. Information, exculpatory evidence, like an officer's history of lies and misconduct. Francis Salazar is now in the National Registry of Exonerations. That's a really sad part is I'm not the only one. I'm just been blessed enough to be the one who has, that the doors have just managed to open to be able to bring this to the light. Frances Salazar credits Dave's reporting and her team of attorneys for getting her released from prison, for exposing constitutional violations committed by police and prosecutors when they withheld information about her arresting officer's record of lying. And she's not done fighting. Francis is currently suing the city of Phoenix and the Maricopa County Attorney's Office for wrongful prosecution. As for Officer Anthony Armour, whose record of misconduct and lying were unconstitutionally kept from Salazar and her attorneys, well, he's no longer with the Phoenix Police Force. He retired early under an accidental disability claim and is receiving a pension and benefits. I live with PTSD every day. After she lost her case against the city and Phoenix PD, Gianna Anderson left Arizona for good. I left the city that I love because I was tired of looking over my shoulder day and night because I didn't know if there's one in the force and it's accepted, why wouldn't there be more? Abby Dennison, the former cop, still lives in Phoenix with her family. Like Gianna, she exhausted all her appeals. Essentially, she's run out of options. And so for these two women, they just want people to know what happened to them. They want things to be fixed, and they're hoping for change, however that comes. That sense of justice that I've had didn't go away when I retired in 2015. I still have it, and if it means stepping up and using my position to advocate for Gianna, to advocate for all these women, and to advocate for others who just haven't come forward, then it will be worth it. As we wrap up this season of Verified Full Disclosure, it's time to give a final heartfelt thanks to our production team. This season of Verified was reported by Dave Biscabing. It's written and produced by me, Natasha Del Toro, Jess Alvarenga, and Chris Haxel. 
Our show was edited by Ellen Weiss and Suzanne Reber. Mixing, sound design, and additional production by Bruce Edwards. Allison Leighton Brown composed our theme and original music. Special thanks also to the team at ABC 15 in Phoenix. Melissa Blasius, Lauren Wilson, Sean Martin, Gerard Watson, Mark Casey, and Anita Helt. We are so grateful for your collaboration. Curtis Gable designed our artwork, and Nicholas McMillan produced our video trailer. Verified was created by our executive producer, Suzanne Reber. Our show is a production of the Scripps Washington Bureau. There's so much more for you to discover about this story. And please go back and listen to our previous three seasons. You can find us on Twitter at Verpod or at Verified Pod on Instagram and Facebook. If you like Verified and believe in this kind of deeply reported and immersive storytelling, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening. Listening.